Good morning. Yeah, have a seat. Way to go. You know the routine. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 10. Uh, we'll finish up chapter 10 and do all of 11. Uh, kids, this is your cue. Uh, if you want to go, you can. You don't have to go, but uh, our leaders are over there waiting for you. Um, everybody just go ahead and look at the exit. These people are serving our children today, so thank you guys. Uh, we really appreciate all that you do and the way that you serve the body so that we can press into what the Lord has for us today. My name's Stephen. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of our elders uh, here at the branch and serve as the lead pastor and kind of primary teaching guy. Um, if you're new, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Exodus. So if, if, you're, if this is your first time here and you're listening to that psalm about the death of the firstborn, just know that's where we are in Exodus, okay? So uh, our scripture readings that prepare our hearts for worship are intentional, and we use those to help uh, spring us into uh, the primary text, which today is Exodus chapter 10. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and flip there. I'll start reading in verse 21. Uh, this is the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. We'll, we'll get the, tenth, the threat of the tenth plague uh, this morning. Next week, uh, we'll press into the Passover as the Lord prepares the people uh, for the impact of the tenth plague. And then the first week that college students are back in town, we'll talk about the death of the firstborn. So we planned it exactly perfectly. Um, but that's the way that we roll here. So let's, let's read the text today. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Verse 21, chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Verse 24, Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Uh, we lost power last night. This isn't in my notes. This is just, I'm reading, and I'm thinking about darkness. It was already dark, so we were unimpacted. The problem in our house, we have three kids, three young kids, eight, six. Mary Lennon's birthday was this past week, so if you see her, tell her that. Um, she loves being a part of this, and you guys have loved her so well, but she's the one who's super needy of, like, attention, so give her that, okay? Um, anyways, in our house, we're not impacted as much when the power goes off but when the power goes back on, especially in the middle of the night. So they all sleep with these little sound machines, uh, like a white noise maker. I, I know a lot about white noise. Um, it's kind of what I do throughout the week. Um, but when they turn back on, it makes this, it's not white noise anymore. It's like crickets or birds chirping, you know? And so they'll sleep through the sound machine being off. But when it turns back on and it's the birds chirping, now everyone's awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. This is not great. Okay? So that's how we're impacted by, you know, in our world, we don't really experience darkness all that much because we can just go to the 
the light switch and turn it on and turn it off. But this was a different kind of darkness. Okay? The sound machines, they didn't have those back in the day, I, I would imagine. Um, there were no light switches. So they, they would experience darkness uh, throughout the day, right? They would have darkness at night, and it would be real darkness, but then the sun would rise, and then they would have light again, or they would light a lamp and, and put it in the middle of the room so that they could see. But this was a different kind of darkness. This was a darkness that was controlled by the creator of darkness and the creator of light. And it was a darkness not just to be experienced, but it was what the scriptures say, it was a darkness to be felt. Have you ever felt that kind of darkness? And, and we think about it as like the removal of light. But let's think about it through the context of sin. That's a, sin is a darkness that is felt, and it's felt deep, right? We usually feel it here, and then it goes down, right? We feel it here, and it goes down, and it gets into the bowels. That's what the scriptures say, right? And then it, then it starts to mess with our brains, and then it starts to mess with our hands and our feet, and all of a sudden, we're not carrying the lamp that Christ has given us, right? That's, so sin has, has external ramifications, but it starts here. The scriptures say that we were dead to sin in our trespasses, right? And all of us have that. All of us come into the world as sinners. That is the problem of the garden. In fact, that's what we will be resting and wrestling through today. But for the Egyptians, the sun god was the primary god. It was the king god, okay? It was the god of gods. Um, and in this particular plague, this darkness to be felt, this is, this is now going right at the heart of the Egyptian deity culture. Okay, so we're going, we're going right at the heart of who the Egyptians had built their whole life around. Okay, so they had all these different gods we've established. It's like 1,400 plus gods. Uh, I don't know all of them. Uh, praise God for that. Um, you probably don't either. Praise God for that as well. But they had these gods, and so we've been trying to point out who these, Egyptians God, these Egyptian gods are along the way. Last week, we had five plagues. We did not do that last week. You're welcome for that. It was 41 minutes and like eight seconds. I apologize. Um, we won't do that again today, okay? So there's freedom. You'll hit lunch. Perfect time today. But this, this darkness, it was three days. This would have been immobilizing to the Egyptians, right? And the scripture says that they were frozen solid. They didn't move for three days, okay? So uh, last week, Davis and I were in New York, and we had a day off um, because flights, and we decided to go run through Central Park. And if you've been to New York, Central Park is, is kind of like this weird anomaly in a very crowded, busy city. And, and Central Park can get really crowded in certain spots, but the reservoir is really, there's no one ever out there. So this is kind of like on the north part of the park. And so we're just, we're jogging around, and we come back, and we're on this little bridle path, which is where they used to, like, the horses would do their thing. And we get into this tunnel, okay? And it was dark, dark. And I don't know if you know anything about New York right now. It's not like the safest place in the world. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, we're just like doing our thing, going super fast, you know, and uh, just, just joking. Hello, I'm Steven. It's nice. I'm glad you're here. So we're running, all right? We're jogging. We're doing our thing. And all of a sudden, light's gone. Well, we can see light at the end of the tunnel, but you can't see your feet hitting the ground. That's a weird feeling. That's a darkness to be felt. Because at any moment, you think, oh, gosh, what if I step in a hole? What if I step on someone? What if someone steps on me, right? I'd rather step on someone than have someone step on me. But it was a darkness that was felt, and I literally felt it in my stomach of like, oh goodness, this might not go well for me. It lasted seven seconds, maybe eight. We weren't going that fast, okay? This was three days of darkness that the Egyptians experienced. Okay, and I, wa I want us to feel the weight of that. It's three days with no light, okay? Now, the scriptures don't say anything about how they responded when light got turned back on, 
okay? But if you've been in a really dark room and you turn the lights on, your eyes hurt, okay? But you've only been in the darkness for maybe a couple of hours at most or a good sleep, eight hours, and the lights turn on, you're kind of doing the thing. This is three days of darkness. Do you feel the weight of that? It is a darkness to be felt. So this Egyptian god, Amun-Re was his name, um, he's the king of the Egyptian gods, which we established. But Pharaoh was known as the son of Re. Okay, so Pharaoh would have thought of himself, and the people really would have thought of Pharaoh as a god, little g god, but a god nonetheless. Okay, he was a god among the people. And they would worship Amon Re every morning. So, what we've seen, this rhythm of the plagues, is they would go out to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was out at the river doing his idol worship, okay? He was, he was worshiping the god of the river. He was worshiping the god of the land. He was worshiping the god now of the sun, which is Amun-Re. This would have been his father figure, okay? Now, we've established this over the course of the plagues. This is week four of the plagues. Is everybody good? Okay, week four of the plagues. It's coming to an end. We hit 10 today, okay? There's only 10, all right? Um, but this Pharaoh would have seen himself as this copycat. Well, he wouldn't have seen him, but he is a copycat, right? That's what we're trying to establish in the plagues is the Egyptian magicians are copying what God is doing, okay? So God is the ultimate creator. He's the one who has authority over all of creation, including the sun. And all of a sudden, now the God of gods in the Egyptian culture gets stomped on, okay? And stomped hard. It's three days. I would imagine at some point between day one and a half in day two and a half, you're wondering if the sun is ever coming back, okay? It's a darkness to be felt. The setting of the sun was a reminder that death was coming, okay? For the Egyptians, it was a, the sun going down was a reminder of death, and then they would have this hope that the sun would come back up, and it was this hope of the resurrection. But their hope in the resurrection wasn't to hope in Christ's resurrection, it was a resurrection of just the sun god coming up every day, and they've become used to it, become numb almost to it. And I think the danger, right, we've established this, that we are them, okay, we are the Egyptians, that we do that too, post-resurrection, okay? Sometimes we grow numb to the idea of Easter, and that should, that should devastate us. It should wake us up even, just show you, shake you awake. Or like in the middle of the night, your sound machine starts chirping birds at you, and it wakes you up, Okay? So that's, that's the reality of where we are. The Egyptians have become numb. And the reality is sometimes here, even as Christians, we become numb too to the truth and the power of the gospel. One of the things that we try to talk about every week is that we can't understand the Old Testament theologically until we understand it Christologically. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. We can't understand what God has to say to us in the Old Testament until we understand what he has to say to us through Christ about the Old Testament. Okay? So for us to understand the, the, the uh, plague of darkness, we must understand that there's only one who experienced true darkness, and that was Jesus, the Son of God. Okay? So the darkness that was felt by the Egyptians isn't the darkness that was felt by Christ. Okay? It was a worse, I almost said worser. It was a worser darkness. <laughs> okay? What Christ experienced the three days... Okay? You see the similarities? There's three days the Egyptians experienced darkness. Christ experiences three days of death, and he experiences three days of real darkness. There was a moment on the cross, and I want to remind you this is not here. It won't be up there, but there's a moment on the cross where, where Jesus cries out. And this is where he first, in his entire existence, which is eternal, okay? Jesus is eternal. He, wasn't, he was born, but he wasn't created, okay? So... Make sure that we're good with our theology of our Christology. Jesus was not created. He was born, 
but he has always existed. The way our kids say it in our catechism is he always been existed, okay? So he's always been, but he experiences for the first time on the cross solitude, aloneness, darkness. And he cries out and he says, Lama, Lama, Labak Sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's darkness. That's true darkness. That's a darkness that is felt. And the clouds came over and he what? He breathed his last. That's real darkness. That is real death. Okay? I want to remind us of this from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to these these words, because this is our hope that we have. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where, or, or death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see where victory comes. A lot of times we think that we bring victory to the table through our effort, through, what, through the things that we can accomplish, and we can't. Victory is given to us through Christ. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is what Paul is now Hearkening to the church, he's declaring to the church, like, hey, our victory is in Christ and in him alone. The Corinthians were having an identity crisis, okay? They were having trouble. They thought that they could bring some more stuff to the table in order to get closer to God. And Paul's going right at the heart of their idolatry, which is self-worship. Okay, ultimately, that's what's happening in Egypt too, okay? Certainly with Pharaoh, and we're going to see that play out here in just a minute in chapter 11. But I think for us, what we need to rest in is that God is at work in darkness, Always. He's never absent. Darkness isn't the absence of God. Usually, darkness is the very presence of God. He's, a, he's doing his best work in darkness. And so no matter what you're walking in here with, no matter what cloud looms over you, and we all have it, you're not alone. You are not alone. Moses wasn't alone. The Hebrews weren't alone. Pharaoh himself wasn't really alone. Okay? We don't talk about the other side, that Pharaoh was actually created in the image of God. Did you know that? He was. Now, he was used to display God's justice and his mercy, right? But his heart was hardened, and he never came back. But God is at work in darkness. I remember this illustration, and this is a little vbs and I'm sorry, but it just is what it is. But have you ever seen, like, the, um, we lean into City on the Hill, Matthew 15, okay, where... Um, the light in the basket, right? And you have the light and they cover it with the basket. And what happens is if, if we turned off all the lights in the room and I were to take a light, I'm doing a match. I don't smoke often. But um, if, I were to, if, if it was pitch black in here and I were to have a little lamp up here, you would all be able to see it. That's the way light works. Light's not constrained. It's not constricted. It hits everything. But the lights are on in the room and if I had a ball of darkness here and I were to let it go, it's immediately evaporated by the light. That is the way that the gospel works. Okay? The sin, the darkness that I hold in my hand, as soon as it's exposed to light, is gone. That's what we receive through Christ. Does the illustration make sense? I hope it does. Okay? Light always beats out 
darkness. Let's transition into the threat of the 10th plague, which is death. And this is, this is the one, uh, guys, we're going to slow down. We're going to spend an entire week next week talking through the Passover. And then we have an entire week where we're just talking through the 10th plague. Okay? This is the most serious. This is the climax of the plague. It's also the end. It's the end of the plagues. There is no more after this. So let's listen to this. This is chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. After, afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction. Note that word. The Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out! you and all your people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people go of Israel go out of his land. This is the last hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And it's the most devastating ramification, consequence of a hard heart. Now, if you've been paying attention, what's happened to the people of Egypt over the course of the last few weeks, over the course of these 10 plagues? Their hearts had softened to the people of Israel, okay? To the point where Pharaoh's servants are going to Pharaoh, who is the king, by the way, and saying, what are you doing? Let him go. How much longer must we suffer? This is the Egyptians who were inflicting suffering on the Hebrews, but these plagues had struck at the heart of who they were. And all of a sudden, their suffering is different to experience suffering than to watch suffering. Okay? And this is the danger of the world that we live in when we're so connected. We can watch suffering and grow numb to it. But as soon as suffering knocks on the door, stuff changes, doesn't it? It changes quick. It changes hard. And that's what's happening to the Egyptians. And so they go to Pharaoh, and now we see that Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. He grew up there. He was an Egyptian, right? Let's remember his story. Who saved him out of the Nile in the basket that his mother fashioned for him, the little baby ark? It was Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was raised alongside this Pharaoh who's threatening now to kill him. If I see your face again, you shall surely die. Death will be experienced in a heavy way. I'll tell you what, 
as a dad of three kids, and I know there's a lot of dads in the room, uh, moms, you're not excluded from this, but you come after me, that's one thing. You come after them, that's a different thing. This plague does that. Remember what uh, Pharaoh's edict to kill all the, first, all the sons of Israel. That's how this whole thing got started. Kill all the sons of Israel. And this final plague, what Pharaoh meant for evil, God is trying to redeem. Okay? Do you see that? This is, not, this is a closed end. This, the parentheses are finished now. And eventually, God's going to send his son, his only son. And it's not parentheses, it's a period. My firstborn will die so that yours doesn't have to. That's the gospel. That is the good news that we come and we gather week after week and we sing those songs. This is what we're doing in family group. We're reminding each other of this story. Not always the story of Exodus, but always the story of the gospel. The plagues are coming to an end. Uh, This is from the book. We have a few of them available. If if you're lucky enough to grab one, do it. This is a little commentary that we've provided all of our family group leaders uh, from Tony Marita. It says this, and you've heard parts of this quote throughout this series, but mercy and justice are always mingled. And the most important Glorious acts of mercy and justice happen when God put forth his son on the cross. God passed over us and he punished Jesus in our place. The cross was meant for us. The tomb with the big old stone had my name on it. Right next to your name. And Jesus came in and he took those names off the stone and he stamped his on there forever. I think one of the things that we do, and I've said this before, but we breeze past the death of Jesus to get to the resurrection. We can't do that here. The resurrection is coming, right? And that's where our great hope is, that one day, you know, he comes back in the consummation of all things, when he makes everything new and every tear is wiped away, there's no more threats, there's no more violence, there's no more evil. Christ has come and he's taken on all of it. There's nothing left, there's no stone left unturned when that stone closes over his dead body. An actual death, a real death, a death that Egypt is going to experience in a way that they never had before. And praise God, they never will again. One of the things I was uh, thinking through this morning even is there's going to come a day when uh, we're sitting next to the Lord in heaven, when, when he's kind of made all things new and we're face to face again finally with the one who created us. And there's going to be an Egyptian there too. That's the power of the gospel. Do you see that? There are going to be Egyptians in paradise. The, the two thieves next to Jesus, right? The one, I will see you today. You will see me in paradise. And the other one didn't. Why is that? Because God is sovereign over all. Same thing with Pharaoh. His heart was hardened, and yet there will be Egyptians in paradise singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That is amazing. That is the story that we're seeing through Exodus. There is the plagues, I think, have done, if they've done anything, they've proven this decreation theology, okay? And and here, I want to read this from uh, Peter N.'s commentary on the book of Exodus, which is not available over there. It's a little bit more expensive, okay? 
But listen to what it says. He says, creation is at God's command both to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. The plagues are creation reversals. Animals harm rather than serve humanity. Light ceases and darkness takes over. Water becomes a source of death rather than life. The climax of Genesis 1, which is the creation account, is the creation of humans on the last day, whereas the climax of the plagues is the destruction of the human beings in the last plague. The plagues do not run rampant, however. They eventually cease. In each cessation is another display of God's creative power. How good is that? How good is that? He once again restores order to chaos as he did in the beginning. That's how our Bible starts, by the way. The waters are restored. The pesky insects and animals retreat. Each plague is a reminder of the supreme power of God who holds chaos at bay, but who, if he chooses, will step aside and allow chaos to plague his enemies. That's what we're going to see in the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is devastating. It is absolutely devastating. So through these 10 plagues, I want to just remind us of these things. Because at the heart of what we're doing in the book of Exodus is we're pressing into the nature and character of who God is. That's why we do what we do, okay? Why do you go verse by verse through Exodus? Because we want to know God. We want to know him. We want to know what he has to say. So what do the plagues teach us about God's divine attributes? The first is that he is almighty. He is the only true God. The second is he's jealous of his people. He loves them a lot. He's willing to go to great lengths to be with his people. Look at these plagues. Frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils. I don't think I'd like the boils. Darkness, death. I know I don't like those things. He's jealous for his people. The third thing is he's just. We pressed into this hard last week. The repetition of those five plagues. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it online. But justice is a hard thing to talk about. If you never have an eye on mercy. As soon as we separate justice from mercy, we think we create a God who doesn't exist in the Bible. Justice and mercy are perfectly mingled. And the, th the fourth is that he is merciful. He's merciful in the day of the Egyptians. He's merciful today. He'll be merciful tomorrow. Praise God for that. And the last thing is he is sovereign. It's a fancy word. If you've not been around church, what does sovereign mean? It means he is in control of everything. He is in control. I find great rest there. This is a tension in the church, if I'm to be honest. There's a theological debate about the limits of God's sovereignty and man's free will. I know myself. I trust God's sovereignty over my free will every day of the week, every single day, okay? I know enough of you two to know that I take God's sovereignty over your will as well, okay? I'm going to say amen to that, all right? And I love you, all right? So he's almighty. He's jealous. He's just. He's merciful, and he's sovereign. This is why we are who we are. This is the identity given to us through Christ. The last thing I want us to see is from Romans chapter 3. This is, I've quoted Romans a lot, which is, might be a precursor to the sermon series to come next. I don't know yet, but we'll see. But this is Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to read for just a minute. This is verses 21 through 26, and I love the heading here. This, and I read from the ESV, okay? The heading is, The righteousness of God 
through faith. Okay, what is faith? It's a gift. Okay, it is a gift. Verse 21 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Listen to this next sentence, okay? There is no what? Say it again. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Do you see the Passover? Okay. Ultimately, that's what's happening in Exodus. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How good is that? That is the gospel, guys. That is the good news of righteousness of God indwelling God's people. Partial obedience. This is what Pharaoh is doing, right? You can, you can take your little ones and your thing, but leave the flock. That's partial obedience is what? disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And boy, should we remember that. Because we think that if we come to church or we do the family group, you're really holy if you do family groups, by the way. But if you do those things, you check off enough boxes that you're good. You obeyed enough. But partial obedience is, more, is, is less than holiness. Partial obedience is disobedience. And the last thing that I want to say about the plagues is that what sin corrupted in the garden Christ corrected on the cross. Okay? What sin corrupted in the garden, Christ corrected on the cross. Forever. Forever. There is no going back. There is nothing that you or I could do to separate us from God. Once you are in Christ Jesus, you are forever in Christ Jesus. Once he says, you're mine. You are always his. There's never going to come a day when you're apart from him. And so we, why are we here? What are we doing? We exist for the glory of God. May we worship him with our whole life. I mean, Thomas was talking about generosity earlier. That's just a piece of it. Coming and being a part of the body is just a piece of it. The way we serve our neighbors is a piece of it. Next weekend, we have the privilege of of serving the Lumpkin County football team. Let's go. That's just a piece of it. And we can idolize those things. Look what we've done for the community. Look how much money we've given to this nonprofit, or look what we've done for our neighbors, or look where we're going on this mission trip. And we idolize those things and we forget that God is in control of everything. And what he's called us to do, where he's called us to go, some, for some of us, is right here. I, I promise you this, I've been around the world enough, I've been around ministry for long enough, that the hardest mission field is the one you're in right now. No doubt. It's really easy to hop a flight to somewhere overseas and to bring good news because you're never going to see them again. It's really hard to do that here in your local, everyday life. And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. So we close uh, each week by going to the table. And we say this every week. We do it as a way to remember. This is the story that we must remember. We must remember that he is almighty, that he is jealous, 
that he is just, that he is merciful, and he is sovereign. And he has come for you, and as his great declaration is, it is finished. The war is over. Death is defeated. Darkness will never overtake the world again. Never. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on with all the uh, stuff in the world, like there's nothing that can, that can happen to you and to I to separate us from Christ. And so would you go to the table? If you're new to the branch, you take a piece of bread and you dip it in the cup. And just slow down. Slow down and remember that he is good. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a time just to celebrate and to rest and to be reminded of how great you are. Just being reminded of what you're teaching us about your character and your nature through these plagues has been cold water over my soul. And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the words of Paul in Corinthians and in Romans. I'm thankful that we have a place that we can meet, to be back in the gym, expectant of the students to come back. I pray for them. I pray for the students who are here who may be going off to school somewhere else, just in these last days that they have for our little kids who are starting school. We pray for them. We pray that in all things that you would help them to see you clearly and that each of us would grow in our Christ-likeness. So we love you, we trust you, we pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.